The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. The topic for the reflection this morning, or this day, for those of you for whom it's not morning, is um, the final of the paramis, perfections that Liz and Shelley and Marialine and I have kind of impressionistically talked about over the last two or three months. And um, it's not the last on the list, but it's the last that we've done, which is metta, kindness, holistic kindness. And mostly today, I just want to talk about that quality of metta as a quality of awareness itself. There's three main points. The first is that breadth is more helpful than depth. I'll explain each of these. And the second is that kindness is really based on a kind of empathy, a sense of just like me, or just the humanity of another person or being. And then the last is reflect a little bit just about the quality of kind awareness, loving awareness itself as a quality of mind, and how that can lead to a kind of a non-dual awareness, not in the sense that there's no subject or object, but in the sense of a non-separation between self and others. So first, breadth is more helpful than depth. There's this image in the discourses of, excuse me, a conch blower, a horn blower. And the Buddha describes this as a very strong person, you know, big lung capacity, standing maybe on the rooftop of a village or city and blowing this conch horn in each of four directions and how the sound kind of effortlessly carries, pervades many, many people who can hear it off into the distance. Breath, right? Even if you just hear it faintly, it would be really helpful. One thing that was really helpful for me in starting out was to recognize that in the ancient Buddhist teachings, metta, kindness, has kind of, it's treated as a synonym with another Pali word, which is avera, non-hatred non-ill will. They're actually treated as synonymous. And this is kind of helpful for some beings that might not be so easy to feel deep affection for, but it's possible to generate non-ill will towards or feel non-ill will towards. Ajahn Pasano talks about rather than generating love for all beings initially, to just start by being non-averse to them. It sounds like a lower bar, but it's actually not such a low bar when you think about the breadth that's being asked for, which is to do our best, knowing our own imperfections, to cultivate that non-ill will towards everything that arises in our own mind and everyone that arises in our lives. So 
Avera and Meta as cognates, but there's also kind of a word cloud, as I've talked about in other talks. Pali doesn't translate one-to-one to English, so it, the English kind of flattens the meaning. So I just want to read some of the alternate translations or resonances, and you can feel how they feel in your heart or your body as I talk. Friendliness. Benevolence. Goodwill. Love. An ancient word in English, amity. Sympathy. Active interest in others. Desire to bring welfare to others. Just feeling into those. This kind of attitude, heart, mind, this kind of approach is such a gift to ourselves and other people when it's accessible. It allows for a kind of lack of anxiety, both in this heart and in the hearts and minds of those that I interact with. Puts people at ease and animals at ease. So that's the kind of range. Non-anxiety is an important part of it. And then there's the principle of cultivating kindness, whether through awareness practice or a more traditional method. And that is to start where it's easy, or even just start where it's possible, and cultivate that, and then expand from there. So in traditional sort of um, commentarial, Visuddhimagga, path of purification, metta practice, this means starting with the easiest person or being to cultivate to, puppies, kittens, good friends, children, whatever. It can also be starting where it's easy or possible in our own hearts and minds, cultivating appreciation for some dimension of our experience or ourselves that feels easy to appreciate, easy to have goodwill towards. Ajahn Suchito, who I've spoken about at least one other time with this group, um, very wise and well-known Thai forest tradition monk, offers the idea of recalling all of the moments of kindness we've received in a day, any moment of kindness. And this is broadly writ, someone holding a door open, someone smiling, someone doing something that allowed an object or an experience to happen for us. I just heard a podcast the other day um, of this writer who talked about making a point of thanking everyone who helped cause his cup of coffee to be. Everyone along the chain, from the farmer to the driver to the fertilizer manufacturer, et cetera, like the entire thing, the barista, all of it. So to recall any moments of support, of kindness. I personally find it helpful to recall any moments of kindness that I've offered or even intend to offer. It tends to soften things. 
as a reflection. So this doesn't have to be part of formal practice, right? It can just be a moment or two at the beginning or end of a day. And as a general quality, as a parami, a perfection, kindness builds on the other paramis, in particular the some of the more, more recent ones that have been talked about in this group, which are um, generosity, sila, or ethical conduct, and renunciation. And what those do is they build this sense of self-respect and lack of self-centeredness that is an excellent ground not just for practice in general, but for also for kindness, kindness towards ourselves, and a feeling of enoughness that allows for goodwill, friendliness towards others in our experience. So second point, which I was kind of getting at there with the first three parmies, is that while a lack of self-centeredness is incredibly helpful to practice in general, I would even say to life in general, There's also a healthy sense of self, a healthy sense of self-regard that's helpful as well. And it doesn't matter if that's cultivated the first through metta practice, as some people do, or more through cultivation of the path in general, or through these other foundational armies of generosity and sila and renunciation. It's It's a helpful quality to have, a helpful self-regard. And this is in part because the flowering of kindness as a perfection, as a strong factor, mental factor, heart quality in practice, is often based on, foundationally, a healthy sense of self-regard. There's an... A quote in the Udana, the Inspired Utterances book of the ancient texts, where the Buddha talks about that no one, no one finds another more dear than themselves. And by that, I mean more central to their lives, wanting to live and not die, for example wanting to be healthy, wanting things to go well. In the Tibetan tradition, um, this is often talked about as just like me, others want to be happy, healthy, safe. In other words, empathy is key. There's kind of an anecdote about this. We might not all be in the same boat, but we're all swimming in the same ocean. We're riding in the same ocean. We're all fellow wayfarers trying to get through life one way or another. The highest levels of loving kindness kind of erase a ranking among these fellow wayfarers. And in this sense, it's a really powerful quality 
Because conceit, that sense of ranking, that's one of the last fetters to grow before ultimate awakening. So kindness practice, quality of kindness alone won't get us there, but it can get the heart and mind to this threshold that's incredibly powerful for the development of practice. So I'll give just a simple example. So this is a sort of, um, I guess you could call it, call it kind of a test or a riddle that's given in the ancient commentary, the path of purification, that after a sustained period of intensive development of kindness, whether it's through traditional practice or metta practice, a teacher will, or you can do this for yourself, offer a visualization kind of test. And the idea is that you're sitting with a dear friend, a neutral person, an enemy, or someone you find difficult. And the four of you are sitting together and bandits come. And you have to make the decision which of the four of you they're going to take. You can just picture that, right? It's a thought experiment. And if metta is absolutely fully developed as a perfection, one cannot make that choice. Because all of them, including the self, are held in kindness. So, perfected, this level of kindness doesn't differentiate or rank people by how useful they are, by how beloved they are. Instead, the circle of care widens and widens to include even those that are found the most difficult, complicated. And when that happens, this whole layer of dukkha, suffering, just drops away. It disappears, at least temporarily. In a sense, there's this, and this is the third point, kind of, non-duality of this circle of care, uh, the cultivation of kindness. It's all in a field of metta, that self-other differentiation, comparison, ranking, falls away. And instead, while there's recognition of subject and object or self and other as reality, there's not the comparing aspect between them. There's also a sort of non-dual aspect to metta for all, this field of metta in that there's kindness, and this is in our guided meditation, kindness as an attitude towards everything that arises in the mind, heart. It doesn't mean agreeing with it or being on board with it, but kindness towards it. And that translates to a kindness to all who arise in our field of knowledge, thought of a person, an actual person, thought of an animal, an actual animal, etc. In a sense, there's not that much difference. So what does this look like? It's helpful to remember here the non-hatred piece. So a non-contention in the mind. There's a quality of equanimity. And I'll just give an example. So this story comes again from the ancient Buddhist teachings. And 
it's kind of a fable or a myth. And in the story, there's this very powerful king, Deva king, spirit or God king named Saka. He's a follower of Buddha. And um, in the sort of mythology, he runs a kingdom in his own realm. He has his own realm. And um, he's in his throne room and he has to step away and go on some kind of trip or errand. So he leaves his throne and all the other sort of nobles are sitting around this thing. And I picture them sort of sitting around a table or like a parlor living room. And while he's gone, this little gnome-like creature comes very like described as shriveled and ugly and um, repugnant and rude, walks in, stomps through the parlor, walks up the steps and takes the seat on Saka's throne. And the nobles are just put out by this, right? They tell him to go away. And when he doesn't go away, they start greeting him and treating him with a lot of hostility and then name calling. But the thing is, they can't kick him out because every bit of hostility they hurl towards this shriveled little gnome, it gets bigger and more beautiful and bigger and more beautiful until they have this huge, giant, powerful demon sitting on the throne that they've been insulting. And it's not going anywhere. So. Saka comes walking back towards his throne room and some of the nobles like flee the room and go up to him and picture them sort of like pulling on his, his robe or whatever. Like, king, king, we've got this horrible demon in the room and just like all kind of anxious. And Saka nods and says, you know this demon. And he says, give me a minute. And he arranges his robe and he goes in and he walks right up to the throne where this creature is on his own simple authority. And he bows. And he says, O oh, teacher, I am Saka, king of this realm. Thank you for teaching us about ourselves. And the demon shrinks. And Saka addresses him again, thanking him for teaching, acknowledging his presence, naming truly who Saka is and it shrinks again and again and again until it shrivels back up into that little non-white creature and poof it disappears so this this is non-contention respect for the ugly parts of the mind the foibles the imperfections that we all have standard installed as human parts of ourselves. It's a non-contention. He's not yielding. He's not treating it, treating this unwelcome visitor as superior, but he's offering it respect. And crucially, he recognizes that it has taught him and his nobles something really important about how hatred Hostility feed more of the same, whether they're in our own minds or relationally. So that non-contention, that non-hatred is an invitation to finding, finding what can be learned in those difficult interactions, be they within or outside, 
for both. So what does this mean in practice, right? The Saida Utejaniya, one of my root teachers, root teacher of this group of Andrea fellows, he teaches the importance of noticing sort of the tint or the tone, the atmosphere, the attitude, the flavor of the heart mind, heart and mind, chitta. And it means that cultivating kindness is nurturing and appreciating it when it arises and when it's present or even just accessible as a reference point from the past, notice when other mind states arise, whether they be the yakas, the hostilities in the mind, or contraction, anxiety, defensiveness, neediness, or demandingness. It has this way of taking these foibles, these like this mythical gnome, like we can regard those mind states as teachers rather than enemies, rather than authorities. In other words, can you see inner projection and intention for what it is? Contention, sorry, not intention. Inner projection and inner contention as processes, as teachers. It's also really helpful to recognize the allies in the mind, in the heart. Generosity, appreciation, joy, compassion, equanimity. the lens of any of these, it's possible to notice the others. So if cultivating kindness, per se, isn't your thing, cultivating equanimity will also promote your faith. All of it. So, sorry, I was just checking the chat. <clears throat> In conclusion, metta, the full flowering of metta is perfection or parami. It sees our own imperfections and those of others as conditions, a recognition of conditions that brought good or will ill to be with this kind of holistic kindness, or at least non-hatred, non-ill will. It's a recognition that conditionality is impersonal and uncontrollable to a large extent. We have some efficacy, right? But many, many of the conditions that bring each of us to be, we didn't pick. We didn't pick our genetics, our parents, our culture, our family, all of that. So that recognition, conditionality and kindness sort of play off of each other. Because when that's recognized, it's so easy to have a lot more room for my own imperfections and foibles and those of the people I encounter. This leads to a sense of, or invites the heart and mind to a sense of inclusion of all phenomena in our minds, 
your hearts and suffusion to all beings. Seeing the potential for beauty, goodness, awakening amidst imperfections or worse. So this kind of kindness, even if it's only possible to drop into little hints of it now and then, can be very powerful. And it can be contagious. Isn't that nice? Contagious. It evokes a kind of resonance and reciprocity. I recently told this story, some of you have heard it, of a gatekeeper back in ancient India. Gatekeeper for villages, little city-states. And um, this gatekeeper was very wise, very friendly type. And everyone who came through just about would ask this person for advice. And he would always, or she, I actually don't know the gender, would always ask the person coming to move to the city. Well, they want to know what people are like here. They'll always ask in return, well, what were people like where you were? What were they like where you came from? And if they were mean and obnoxious and petty and couldn't be trusted, the gatekeeper would just nod, say to the person, I think you'll find people here much like that. Later in the day, someone else would come through and ask the same question. What are people like here? What were they like where you were? Kind, generous collaborative, trustworthy. I'm going to miss them, but I got this new job. I got to come. So what are people like here? I think you'll find them much like that. You'll find people like that. So that resonance, reciprocity. I'll end with one last story, more personal level. Not my story, but it's just a one-to-one call. And this, this is a recent one. I heard this on a podcast some years ago. Telling the story of this family who was having kind of a barbecue, little dinner party thing out in their backyard. They lived in an urban environment. And they were all outside grilling what was going to be grilled, you know, eating what was going to be eaten and drinking wine together. When suddenly from the alley between their house and another house appeared a robber with a knife. And he basically held out the knife to the hostess and said, give me all your money. All of you, give me all your money or someone's going to get hurt. And the hostess did something so counterintuitive, so courageous. She smiled and she said, welcome. Why don't you just put that down and have a glass of wine with us? Would you like some food? The would-be robber put the knife away, was clearly confused, but accepted the wine, took a sip or two, and then very quickly walked off down from which he came, the alley. No robbery, no danger, no hurt. I'm not advocating any of us actually do this necessarily. But what this woman did was evoking a non-complementary response, the power of shifting someone from hostility to welcoming them, 
meeting hostility with friendliness. And I've seen it in my own work. It often can transform. The meanest, most shut down person can soften into appreciation and kindness. The next morning, this family found their wine glass. The robber didn't even take that. Apparently, he drank the wine, it was gone, but he very carefully set the wine glass up by their front porch, propped against the wall so it would break. The resonance of metta. It's helpful to practice with a sense of breadth over depth, meeting whoever and whatever arises. It's really helpful to start where it's easy. And to notice the quality of our mind, how we greet, what comes towards us, what comes towards us. Whether it be unpleasant and dangerous, neutral, irritating, amazing, all of it. To greet that with as much grace and non-hostility as possible. Thank you for your attention. Thank you all for your comments, insights, questions, the rich conversation. And um, may this practice be a cause and condition for more kindness, patience, compassion, and awakening in our own hearts and minds. And in the hearts and minds of all people, all beings, our lives touch. May these good qualities, the benefits of this practice, radiate out through our lives and their lives and the lives that they touch until all beings everywhere experience more happiness, safety, peace, ease, and freedom. May all beings be safe. May all beings be happy. May all beings know the highest peace and joy of freedom. Thank you all for your practice. It's a joy to be with you, and I'll be with you again the first week of January. So, happy solstice, happy holidays. Be well and be safe. Welcome to unmute and say goodbye if you want. Thank you. Thank you. Doug. See you in January. Hey, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Good to see you. Take care. That was great. Thank you.